Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now launching Mackie and Judd. We get things rolling with the opening bell. Want to ring the bell? All right, welcome everyone to the Mackie and Judd show. Matthew Collar filling in for Phil Mackie and Judd Zolgad today here from now until 6 o'clock. And uh, we've got a very jam-packed show, a lot going on. Sage Rosenfels, former NFL quarterback, also my Purple Podcast co-host. He will be in studio from 3 to 4, so he's going to break down big games with Kirk Cousins here, how the Vikings offense can beat the Chicago Bears. Also, what he thinks of Mitch Trubisky. He's been watching a lot of uh, Trubisky this year. Then at 4.15, we're going to have Lawrence Holmes, who is from 670, the score in Chicago as well. Uh, Jonathan and I have been doing some extensive YouTube research to dig up some old sports toy commercials that we want to play and talk about some of the sports gifts that we've gotten that maybe didn't always go the best. And so I'd love to get some tweets. You could send them to the 1500 account or phone calls if you like. 651-646-8255 on sports-related gifts that maybe would be out of date now or didn't go the best if you have any of those 651-646-8255 also Danny Cunningham is going to be in here from the Raised by Wolves podcast also covers the Wolves for 1500 ESPN in a few minutes to talk about uh, Christmas Day basketball where the NBA is going this year and the drama we have now with the just okay Golden State Warriors but before we get into all that Jonathan there's there's some there's some breaking news here. I guess developing yeah. news. I want to call it developing news. Seems we have a bowl scandal. Bowl scandal watch. <laughs> and 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 Jonathan and I, you know, normally. Um, I mean, this is how newsrooms work. When big mm-hmm. news breaks, is that you know you might just be kind of sitting there and just talking things over, and then all of a sudden news breaks and everyone jumps into action. Yeah. And that's what you do when you have Bull Scandal Watch. Bull Scandal Watch. And so that's what we are on right now. We are on Bull Scandal Watch, the first responder bowl, Jonathan. You think the safest place to be? Right, exactly, because of the first responders. (laughs) Um, Boston College against Boise State. Mm -hmm. All right, so let's start two hours ago so we can bring everyone up to date. So if you're in your car and you're not familiar with this bull scandal that we are covering extensively, we've got your timeline ready. Yeah, this is, this is your timeline. So the, um, the Twitter account for the first responder bull tweeted out a 19 yard touchdown that Boston college scored to take a seven, nothing lead. It's at the cotton bowl, Dallas, Fort worth area, famous uh, venue, first responder bowl. Everyone's excited. All right. Mm -hmm. So then, you know, a, a few minutes later, and by the way, did you know, and just going through the uh, Twitter account, that teams that score first in the first responder bowl, right? First, wow. Right? Are <laughs> seven and one. Wow. Uh, that's quite the stat. So a few minutes later, though, lightning begins to strike at the first responder bowl. Not good. And I don't know how many first responders are there, but there isn't much that any first responder can do about the weather. No. So everyone clears the field. This is very normal. This happens all the time. Just mm-hmm. a little rain. We'll just wait it out, and we will get back to first responder bowl football very soon. And then... 
So I was going through the Twitter account, and you're seeing like other bowl games Twitters making fun of the first responder bowl. <laughs> huh, when are you guys going to play your game, huh? That's the, amazing. The Belk Bowl was weighing in. Thanks, Belk Bowl. Really helping out the situation, Belk Bowl. But then there was a sign of trouble at the first responder bowl. The Twitter account tweeted out, the amount of people who think I control the weather is impressive. <laughs> I can't even control the remote in the house as long as the Hallmark Christmas movies are on. Oh, no. So I thought, you know, I'm okay. Well, 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 this is a weird tweet. That's this is a, this is a very strange, not a left field. It's defensive. Also, like, it's like running a Twitter account is like being the mascot for, for a team. Like, you're not supposed to pull the head off and go, hey, cut it out, guys. <laughs> like, you've got to keep the mascot I'm head not supposed, on. I'm not supposed to know you're an individual person. Right. You're still an entity to you me. You are the first responder bull. You're not a guy, okay? You don't have a house. You don't have a TV. You don't have a significant other living with you. You're, you're a bull. The, you're a bull game. And this is your day. Yes. And you're yelling at people about, about the weather. Okay, what's going And then, shortly after that, only minutes after that, the first responder bowl has been canceled, and the game has been ruled no contest. So, everyone, this is our first bowl scandal. Bowl scandal watch. And so now we have gotten our investigative team together, which is me and Jonathan, and tried to determine... Award-winning investigative team to you. Yeah, that's right. Many awards. Um, <laughs> we'll talk about them later. Yeah. By the way, I'm just I'm looking at this. It hasn't tweeted since. Uh oh. It has gone completely silent over the last 45 minutes. There has been no explanation. So the game has been canceled. It has been canceled. There will be no first oh, responder bowl, which is crushing to me, uh, in part because Boise State is fun to watch. They yes. are usually a barrel of monkeys, and BC was pretty good this year. And so, okay, like this could be a good bowl game. And as you know. I love watching these random bowl games where I don't know any players, mm-hmm. and sometimes it can be a lot of fun. The games come down to the last second. There are random connections like Delvin Cook's uncle scoring a game-winning touchdown. Being in a coma for much of the season. That's right. <laughs> you never know the weird stories you're going you're gonna to come across when you watch some of these bowl games. So I was excited for the first responder bowl, and of course the Gophers are going to play in Detroit soon, and... Bless every one of you who decided to go to Detroit to cheer on the Gophers against Georgia Tech, a matchup of Titans, I guess. <laughs> um, but but so as we've looked into, I can't remember or find any other bowl game that had been canceled and ruled a no contest because of weather. And so you have all of these teams. I mean, they are in Dallas, Fort Worth area mm-hmm. at the Cotton Bowl, having traveled from Boise which, you know, flights out of Boise, I can't imagine, yeah. are the easiest thing. My brother lived in Boise for a little while. Okay. I, random. But it's not that easy to right. fly into Boise. It's, it's not Minneapolis. Yeah, it's, yeah. And even, you know, it's Boston, you're still talking coming out of Boston College all the way there. That's a long way. They're not very close schools to where they're playing their bowl game. They're not. Not anywhere close. So all these people, if they have fans who traveled, maybe Boise State does, has fans who they might have cool, looked like at that. It. They might. They should. They might have said, "You know what? I bet it's pretty warm in Dallas around this time. So let's make a trip out of it. Let's go see our Broncos mm-hmm. and all these kids who had to presumably miss Christmas at home since it's the day right. after Christmas when they're playing. That they didn't travel there this morning. Everyone goes there, and now their bowl game is canceled. Just it's." It's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I mean, what time is it in you still, Dallas? You, it's 3 o'clock. There's Central There's Central? Though. Yeah. It's 3 o'clock. We couldn't wait out the first responder bowl? There, you couldn't wait a couple hours because, you know, there's still... You could start the game at 7 o'clock. I mean, you're only competing with uh, what's next. The Cheez-It Bowl is tonight. There's a Cheez-It Bowl? There's a Cheez-It Bowl, which is two great things. That's, you get a bowl game and you get Cheez-Its. Che- I yeah, love Cheez-Its. That is delicious. Um, and a bowl of Cheez-Its is even better. Would you say that they're... An elite snack? Would you put cheese? I don't put them there, but I like them. I love Cheez-Its. My wife hates them, and she doesn't understand why I like Cheez-Its, because outside of Cheez-Its, I don't like cheese. Oh. Do you get cheese on burgers? No. Never. Same with my wife, and it's always a problem. I won't do cheeseburgers. Cheese on pizza is fine, whatever, but it can't be just cheese pizza. Oh, she is, she's exactly the same way. 
And when you go to a restaurant and order no cheese on a burger, they just, they like fall apart. They just collapse. I've never like, had they, a problem with it. Do. Really? That's been like my whole marriage has been like every place we go, uh, can I have no cheese on the burger? And it's like, yeah, sure. We'll and then it comes out hamburger. with cheese. At one restaurant, they literally they tried off- to like peel the cheese off. Was, what are you doing? Do they not offer just regular hamburgers anymore? Well, you know, that might be the problem. But usually it's like if you're, instead of saying, <laughs> can I just get a hamburger? But if yeah. it's like a, you know, they have like names for them, like the first right. responder burger or something. <laughs> like, yeah, but it's always something the like, of all burgers. Right, like the sizzling burger or yep. something like that. And then so you say the name and you're like with no cheese is usually yeah. how it goes. And then that shouldn't be a problem. No, it's, it's been a. Man, it's been a lot of problems. But anyway, don't distract me from this first responder right. bull scandal. Because when you have a bull scandal, it's a problem. Bull scandal watch. So I, I'm reading this, and there there is pure outrage to the first responder bull. Are you saying our society is outraged about something? Yes. Wow. It does happen. Shocking. Um, it's the first time anyone has been <laughs> outraged about something. And that's what makes it so notable. <laughs> but, you know, with, with this, it's it's funny because I'm sure that it will be talked about, um, uh, you know, just for it'll be one of those debated sort of topics. But mm-hmm. for every time an athlete decides they're not going to go to their bowl game, it becomes a debated thing. It becomes, right. is it okay to do? And a couple whatever. gophers sitting out this week right. or today. And I support anything with student athletes in the mm-hmm. biggest finger quotes I can use. Right. Use f- like the foam finger, giant <laughs> finger quotes, f- student athletes. Um, anything that, that that gives them more options to control their own future. So when we talk about you know, transferring and, mm-hmm. and, and the kids who have to sit out a year to transfer and things right. like that. I mean, that's just, to me, that's preposterous. Like if you went to a school and it didn't work out, you should be able to go to another school. Yeah. If you're, if the coach you committed to left, you should be able to go to whatever school you want to. That's the way I look you at it. You shouldn't have to sit out because that coach didn't have to sit out. Uh, yeah. Right. And I understand that the rules are in place. So kids just don't show up as freshmen and don't play right away and then just leave. Mm-hmm. I get that. But I think they're doing that anyway, and then you're just you're just punishing them. And they should also be able to control where the, their own future. They shouldn't be forced to stay in a place they don't want to be, right. and they shouldn't be forced to go to a bowl game when they might have an NFL future, and they could risk that. And you know, the the couple of great examples: the linebacker from the Cowboys, Jalen Smith; mm-hmm. the tight end from the Broncos, Jake Butt. Both of those guys got hurt in bowl games. And Jake Butt, I, th- I think, was it in a bowl game? or I-, I think it was in a bowl game with him. But either way, you're risking potential. If you tear an ACL in your bowl game, Like, wh- what is that going to do to your draft stock? And the draft is, you get paid like as soon as you get drafted. So if you have first-round potential, second-round potential, you-, you get a check. And yeah, he it- tore his ACL in the Orange Bowl. Okay, so if you tear your ACL in the Orange Bowl... I mean, you're talking about losing a lot of money. I think he went to, what was he, a fifth-round pick? So, like, he would not have been a fifth-round pick or wherever he was selected. Yeah, round five. If he had not torn his ACL in the Orange Bowl. And so any player I think I'm good with. But if people are going to be against that, they should certainly be against the first responder bowl calling it a day at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. You could play this thing any time. Yeah, we're in the central time zone. It gets dark probably 7 o'clock here now, 6, 7 o'clock. You can still play. There's lights on stadiums now, especially in Dallas. <laughs> there is, Jonathan, yes. The, <laughs> some stadiums now have lights. It's incredible. The technology the 21st that, that century, come up it's a miracle. With. Yeah, the, the Cubs, I've heard, are going to do that sometime wow, soon. no way. The Cubs? Yeah, they're going to put in stadium lights. So uh, there we have it. It's a uh, Bull Scandal Watch. We're going to keep you... Go ahead, play it again. Bull Scandal Watch. Uh, If you couldn't figure that out, that's Manny's voice for the Bull Scandal Watch. That's his contribution to this conversation. Um, So uh, Danny Cunningham is going to come in next. We're going to talk a little NBA from yesterday. We've got Wolves tonight. um, And we we got to talk about where they are, but also the Golden State Warriors showing... Some some weaknesses now that I think everyone's expected them to jump back uh, and, and and get hot at some point, but they haven't really done that. So I want to get Danny's thoughts, and then we will have a half an hour of all football. Sage Rosenfels and I filled the room with footballs and just threw them at each other for a half an hour. And we also talked about his dog a little bit too. So um, 
we're going to do that at 3.30, and then we are going to get to uh, Lawrence Holmes at 4.15, so a lot for you today. And if you have any disastrous sports-related gifts that you got or remember from getting as a kid, feel free to, to give us a call or give me a tweet and let me know. 651-646-8255. Jonathan has dug up some old commercials for sports-related Christmas gifts that are amazing. So we will continue that. Matthew Collar in for Mackie and Judd. Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Just hold your ass right there. On 1500 ESPN. All right, before we get back to Mackie and Judd with Matthew Collar, we've got a crash on 35W Southbound at 47th Street. The left shoulder is blocked there. And then we've also got a crash on 494 Eastbound at Penn Avenue. The left lane is blocked there. Matthew? Thank you, Jonathan. Matthew Collar in for Mackie and Judd here for the next couple hours with you. In about 15 minutes, Sage Rosenfels, former NFL quarterback, to talk Kirk Cousins and the Chicago Bears game coming up on Sunday. That is now at 325. It's been moved there as the Vikings will play for a playoff spot. But I wanted to bring in uh, Danny Cunningham, who is our Wolves reporter for 1500ESPN.com, also co-host of the Raised by Wolves podcast. Uh, the Wolves are in Chicago tonight. We'll get to that. But yesterday... We really don't have to if we don't watch We it. can. We can. <laughs> yes. we. Well, we will, at least a little. But uh, yesterday's action was more compelling than I expect tonight's game to be. Of course. Um, in, in large part, for me, because of what happened with the Warriors. That's the biggest Christmas Day takeaway. I feel like it's it's almost like the Indiana... Or not the... Uh, the Daytona 500 of mm-hmm. basketball, where it's like... The Super Bowl on one of the the early days, if you want to put it that way. Yeah, and the season in the NBA now starts in mid-October, but it really doesn't start until Christmas. Day. Absolutely. It is the unofficial beginning of the NBA season. I always have to look up the standings, aside from the Wolves, to be like, okay, so who's good now <laughs> Like on Christmas Day? And even like for me... I'm pretty up to date daily on the Western Conference standings, but like I looked at the East standings yesterday. I'm like, holy crap, Miami found their way back into the playoff race just because <laughs> I knew they weren't doing it. I'm like, they're 16 and 16. Oh my goodness. So I ran out to Los Angeles to do a quick in law visit uh, a week and a half ago and um, went to a Clippers Heat game out there. And Dwayne Wade in his thousandth game, we saw his thousandth game and he dropped 25. And the Heat took down the Clippers, who are actually pretty good this year. Yeah, And it really was like, Eric Spolstra should be considered the best coach in basketball. To have that team, I didn't know most of their players. Which usually, I mean, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, in football all the You're time. You're busy watching bowl games. But, but I listen to Zach Lowe's podcast all the time. I play NBA 2K. Like, I know who these guys are. And I was like, I don't recognize that guy. I don't. Re- they had sat some of their starters. Like, Whiteside didn't play. And and they're real. I mean, they're really a, a solid team. But it is fun to sort of look up at Christmas time and go, okay, let me really assess the NBA now. And the assessment is the Golden State Warriors are just not the Golden State Warriors right now. They're not the same Warriors that they've been for the past four years. And so what is happening? A little bit last year, it felt like this too. It felt like mm-hmm. these Warriors aren't the same. And then they figured it out, and obviously they went through the playoffs and won the finals. Um, I think they're bored. I think more than anything, this team is bored. I think that the Kevin Durant free agent speculation is really hanging over their heads. They don't know what he's going to do. They feel like he's going to leave. I personally am of the belief this is his last season out West in Golden State. Mm -hmm. I think he's, he's ready for something else. I think they're also ready for something else. I think they're ready to try and become the Warriors again. Because when they were Steph and Clay and Draymond, they were the Warriors. Mm -hmm. When they added Kevin Durant, you're like, okay, like you're really good. But you're not the Warriors. Right. You're, you're the super team now. You're not the fun, joy, joy-loving basketball team that the Golden State Warriors were in 2014 and 2015 and 2016. You're just not them anymore. And I think they're kind of ready to be that again. But this is also like their their last hurrah of being super villains with KD and soon to soon to have Boogie Cousins when he ever gets on the on the court again for them. So the thing that would make me think this might be a little different 
than the past few years, or even last year. Like, I remember there was drama, sort of mid-season drama with Kevin Durant, and even Steve Kerr talked about that after they won the championship, that there was a time that he had to meet with Durant and kind of talk about where things are going. But this, because he's hitting free agency after this year, it does have a bit of a different feel. What happened with him and Draymond Green, Mm -hmm. the way that Draymond has not been playing like his usual self so far this year. I mean, it feels like Draymond has not hit a three since Game 7 of the 2016 Finals. He took a judge shot yesterday. Yeah. Where it, it looked like the, the sort of slow and, and awkward and uncomfortable and haven't like stretched any of those muscles in a few years it, and then way short. It looks like he's taking jump shots while wearing a backpack. <laughs> That's what it looks like. That is the best way if you didn't yes. watch the game or are not super familiar with Draymond Green, which mm-hmm. I understand. Imagine someone like. taking yes. a jumper with a backpack a on a full backpack. Yes. Yeah. Like History books, math books, the guy is in Algebra 3 taking jumpers. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and so the, the fact that the, it, the circumstances are a little different because Durant could leave after this, and they do seem not just bored of beating everyone, but also frustrated with each other mm-hmm. and playing more individual basketball. I mean, even as, even last year when they started to really turn it on, the, the ball movement was what made them so special. They had the ball movement of like Cornell basketball only with the superstar best shooters in the world and it was unstoppable. But I don't see them moving the ball a lot. There's a lot more ISO, a lot more one-on-one. And I just wonder if it's, if they were going to really step up and show everyone that they're fine, yesterday would have been the time to do that. And to get beaten in a game where LeBron gets hurt. Maybe it's the time to start discussing whether the West is more wide open than any of us would have thought. And not just beaten in a game where LeBron gets hurt. Badly. But, but yeah. embarrassed. Mm-hmm. And embarrassed at home. And Christmas Day is not a day where teams come out flat. It, right. it is the prime time day. Like you said, it's the Daytona 500 of basketball. It's the unofficial start of the season. Teams don't just wake up and go through the motions on that day. It is a, a prime time day all game long. I mean, if you watch the Philadelphia-Boston game prior to the Warriors Lakers, those two teams were ready for prime time. Now, granted the Sixers maybe didn't execute that well down the stretch, but Kyrie Irving, that's what you expect in prime time games. And that's what we've seen from the Warriors the past few years. If you go back last year, they were able to stave off the LeBron led Cavs late. If you go back to 2016, it was a classic between the Cavs and the Warriors where Kyrie hit that winner with, I believe three seconds left on the clock. Mm -hmm. Like we've seen some great games from the Warriors and LeBron on Christmas day. Yesterday was neither because one LeBron left with an injury and two the Warriors just look flat. Like you, there's no better way to say that the Warriors aren't right than they're just not the Warriors. It's so if you understand it, you totally get what I'm saying. But if you don't, it's really hard to explain. So what does that mean? I mean, when I see them looking like that, I think well, it's never really mattered where LeBron finishes. He's always the one that's there at the end. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really matter if the Cavs are a good regular season team. Once you get to the playoffs, he's going to play the whole game, and he's going to dominate, and they're going to win. And the Lakers look like they have more players than just LeBron James. And I, I don't think many people thought that initially, that the Lakers would be a team where you'd be saying, well, you know, actually, they've got some pretty good role players, but they do, and they were playing as a team yesterday, and I just don't know whether to overreact and say, eh, the Lakers could be legit here, and this could be actually really fun, because I-, I want this. I want there to be a team to chase them in the West. Houston, it was last year. That was a lot of fun, mm-hmm. and-, and until 0 for 27 in Game 7. And until Chris Paul's hamstring went. I truly believe in my heart of hearts that that Houston Rockets team was a Chris Paul hamstring away from winning the championship. I hit a three in that last game. They were even in the game after going over 27. Yeah, if Chris Paul doesn't pull his hamstring or blow it Mm -hmm. out or whatever he did, I think they win the title. I really do. They were that good. And they, you brought up the the lack of passing that seems to exist in Golden State now, and you were 100% right about that. Their numbers, and I don't have them in front of me, but their average passes per game are down from what they were pre pre Durant Mm -hmm. even to the first two years of Durant. What Houston kind of had their blueprint. For, they got the Warriors to play Houston basketball, which is isolation and drive and kick stuff. Mm-hmm. That's not what the Warriors excel at. They right. can do it because they are more talented than you. And at the end of the day, talent wins out so often in the NBA, more mm-hmm. than any other sport, in my opinion. Talent matters so much. But if you can get them out of their game, it gives you a fighting chance. And that's what Houston did. And they did it really well until Chris Paul went down.
They did, and that was fun. That was way more fun than I had expected. I expected the Western Conference Final, even as good as the Rockets had been, to just be Golden State turning it up to 11. And I guess there were signs of them maybe not being perfect then, but the Cavs were just not good enough to go up against them in the NBA Finals. And especially after LeBron punched that blackboard in the locker room after (laughs) Game 1. right? Because... He shot the ball really well. He scored 50 points in game one of that series. Right. And then he could not shoot the rest of the series. And then it, it comes out after that he's essentially got a soft cast on his hand. So I feel like this type of drama is what makes the NBA so great at this moment to watch. It's so much fun. It really is. Because you've got this. But the reason that we're digging into why they're not so good involves so much stuff in the locker room and off the court. And I don't think Mm -hmm. that necessarily exists in other sports. Like in football, if you're a defensive back and you hate the guts of an offensive (laughs) lineman, is it really going to affect if your team can win? Not necessarily. If you are Draymond and Kevin Durant and you genuinely don't like each other, Mm -hmm. it matters. Or just will we ever even hear about it? I mean, I was in the Vikings locker room today and Latavius Murray and Kirk Cousins were the only ones there, basically. Mm -hmm. And you just the the access and the guaranteed contracts for the NBA players are a lot more out there, and it does build the drama that the personalities are are so much a part of it. And and I there is there are some people who look at um, teams like the Warriors and say like I'm bored, like when the Yankees were winning all the time. Or you hear this every time UConn women's basketball is great. It's yes. like who cares? There's no parity. And I would argue completely the other way that when you have a monster like this and they start to show a little sign of weakness, it takes the drama up. And I think the second half of the season is going to be incredibly interesting because that's going to be the number one storyline the whole rest of the way. And that's why the, we look back on the 2016 NBA Finals as so great because the Cavs were able to slay that beast. But that series itself wasn't very good. If you look, game one was a blowout. The Warriors destroyed the Cavs. Game two, same thing. Game mm-hmm. three, the Cavs beat the brakes off the Warriors. Game four was closer, but the Warriors still won by like 12. It was really just one great game. The only game that was within 10 points was game seven. <laughs> that was the only game. But because the Cavs were able to slay this monster and beat the 73-win team, we look back at that series as an all-timer. And there were certainly all-time great performances and moments, but there was only one good game out of seven in that mm-hmm. whole series. Like the uh, 1960 World Series with the Pirates and Yankees. That's for the, uh, oh, I the remember AM, that one. AM yeah. radio audience right I, there. I remember that series. That, um, that was quite the uh, quite the string of events. So let me ask you something, because I'm not going to pretend that you should break down the matchups of the Bulls and Wolves tonight, because the Bulls are 9-25. and 25. Um, the, bu- the Bulls are tanking for Zion. Yes, they are. They are not trying for Zion. Um, but... Uh, Zach Levine is the most interesting player there. I know that Markkinen is the draft pick, so we're always going to talk about Markkinen and what happened with and what happens with him. And he looks like he could be a great player, but Levine is always intriguing to me because it was it was this Levine or Wiggins. Like Levine's got the personality, but Wiggins is more talented. But Levine doesn't play defense either. And I just I I wonder as I watch the Wolves, like does anyone regret not having Zach Levine? I don't think you should. I think what Zach Levine's doing in Chicago right now, Andrew Wiggins would have no problem doing. I mm-hmm. think because if if Wiggins were the no doubt number one, and granted, I realize Laurie Markkinen's back now, and that's changed a little bit, but because he missed so much time early in the season, it was the Zach Levine show, essentially. Wiggins would be able to score 25 or 30 points a game in that situation because you just get so many shots. Even mm-hmm. if, you, if, if you're not having a good night, you're still getting 25 to 30 shots. Right. And Wiggins doesn't get that here. So I, I think that it's the right decision. So I'm not one that's super high on Zach Levine. I think Wiggins still has potential. They need to figure out a way to unlock it. Manny and I actually talked about this a little bit on our Raised by Wolves today, which was just published a little bit ago. Um, they need to figure out how to unlock the potential of Wiggins. And we talked about how so many different scenarios and go back to the Warriors. And we also just dove into NBA draft scenarios and how the <laughs> league would be different if the Cavs drafted Joel Embiid mm-hmm. in 2014, how the Wolves would look now, or if the Wolves would have drafted Steph Curry, what he would have turned into. But we have to remember how good Steph Curry was pre-Warriors dynasty days. And then how he was much, just okay. He was just a guy. He he was more than a guy. He he was good. He was also hampered by injuries a little bit. But once Steve Kerr got there, it mm-hmm. unlocked him. He yeah. became so much better. Mm-hmm. If you look at DeMar DeRozan when he was in Toronto, DeMar DeRozan was just a guy in Toronto. And then Kyle Lowry got there, and he unlocked mm-hmm. him, and DeMar DeRozan became an all-star. That's the type of thing that they need to happen for Wiggins. Now, I don't know if that's a certain player coming here 
or a coaching change potentially happens, but they need to find something that's going to help Wiggins hit that next level consistently. Because when you see in the game Sunday night against OKC how good he was and he won them that game, you see that the potential's there. You just don't see it consistently enough. And that's what drives Wolves fans crazy. All right, make sure you check out the Raised by Wolves podcast. Danny Cunningham along with uh, Manny Hill. 1500ESPN.com also is your written coverage tonight. Wolves and the Bulls, even if you don't watch it, make sure you read what Danny writes about it. Because <laughs> I don't blame you at all. It's, it's not a dramatic one. But we'll What else are you going to do tonight? Yeah, right. There's nothing else. Well, there, there might be bowl games that don't get canceled. Well, or ones that don't have scandals. Yeah, how, we'll uh, how upset are you about that? Because I, I, true story, I came looking for you as soon as I found the news. And I found yeah. you in, in another part of the office crying. Distraught. Yeah. Um, very upset. That's heartbroken for, I mean, for you. Boston College of Boise State. Those kids worked so hard to play in the first well, responders. I mean, bowl. in all honesty, like, come on, they did. You couldn't wait. You, You're going to bang the game? And, like, if they did this in baseball, it would be an outrage. If they, like, oh, it's 3 o'clock, canceled. Like, what? Send them to Can't the Bahamas. Can't wait to see if it moves along. <laughs> right. You, is there a dome available? All right. Uh, Sage Rosenfels coming up next in studio to talk Vikings and Bears. Kirk Cousins in big situations, and we will ask him... Uh, but he's got a great dog, too, so we're going to ask him about that. Danny, thanks for popping in. You got it, Matthew. All right, we'll be back. Matthew Collar in for Mackie and Judd. Don't go anywhere. Assume the position. More Mackie and Judd coming up next on 1500 ESPN. All right, welcome back to Mackie and Judd. Matthew Collar filling in today. Hope you had a very nice holiday. And uh, we've got something special for you here on the show. Sage Rosenfels, former NFL quarterback and my co-host on the Purple Podcast. We finally, Sage, get an opportunity to do a podcast in person. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, for those who listen to the Purple Podcast, I'm generally still sitting in bed. Uh, <laughs> I usually have the news on and my computer in front of me as we're looking things up as we're doing the podcast. Uh, and my dog is usually sleeping on a chair in my bedroom. So it's a little bit different situation here, and it's nice to be in studio, and and uh, I'm looking forward to this segment. So are you the person who dresses up your dog on Christmas? No. No. I did get him a haircut this year. I mean, it was it was needed badly. It was probably a month late haircut, so they had to really trim him down, which turned into uh, my Christmas present to my parents. My parents watch my dog on occasion, especially when I travel, and uh, they've sort of sort of adopted him, and it's almost like a second parents type of thing. It's great for retired people to have a, a pet in the house. And so my parents got a, I believe it's a 16 by 24 picture, canvas picture of my dog, <laughs> oh, a slash nice. of their dog, and it's right after his haircut, so he's all, he's looking perfect. Uh, he's like a little supermodel uh, for dogs, <laughs> and uh, and they, I thought it was a great present for them, and they were very happy with it. Now, your dog is a Bernese Mountain Dog, is that right? A My dog is a mini Bernadoodle, so that'd be a, <laughs> <laughs> so that'd be a mini poodle uh, father mixed with a Bernese Mountain Dog mother, so no, that was not a natural uh, conception. <laughs> type of situation uh so does that well the 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 mountain dogs have the long hair and the poodles have the short hair so what is it which one uh so yeah no shedding uh, yeah i mean he gets like shaggy hair is what he sort of gets it's uh it sort of clumps together a little bit Uh, it's sort of curly it's very soft he's basically a teddy bear that has a heartbeat (laughs) is basically what he is so uh he's adorable bernie is his name It, it it was very uh it, the search took a few weeks, actually, with my kids. And then I, Bernie just seemed easy because he is the, the Bernie's uh, mix, and uh, it's worked out well. So he's a great dog, doesn't shed, which I really like. Uh, you know, there is this difference between, by the way, Minneapolis and Omaha, where I live, is, you know, in Minneapolis, once the winter gets here, for the most part, it just stays winter. Now, this year seems a little different, but usually the snow hits and the snow is there until, you know, April or something like that. So as your dog goes outside, you know, it comes in, it just had, you know, snow on his paw, on his or her paws, right? In Omaha, since we're a few hours south, we have that, you know, freeze, thaw, freeze, thaw. So lots you know, of snow. Mud. Oh my God, unbelievable. <laughs> There's mud all the time. And it's just so, it's, we're in a constant state of basically mud and sand <laughs> and wind and grayness in Omaha in the winter. Here, you at least have that uh, that nice snow to look at. So uh, in some ways it's colder up here, but in some ways I feel like the Minneapolis winters are are they're at least more consistent than those Omaha winters. Yeah. Um, well, that's like your um, your quarterback who's consistently 
not that great. <laughs> so I was like, well, it's Andy Dalton of uh, of quarterbacks. Just like consistently, yeah, okay, it's not too bad. But I always say about Minnesota, if it wasn't, you know, 10 below for two months, then everyone would want to live here. Yeah, so, it keeps like, the riffraff right. out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. I mean, the, all those people that came up here for the Super Bowl last year, which is, you know, we're coming up. It's been about 11 months since that. Yeah. The whole world, NFL world came to town, and it was one of the coldest weeks of the year, I think, last year. It was like it high was. of five degrees. I, I would watch Albert Breer, who goes out for a run every morning. Albert writes for uh, Sports Illustrated, and, and he would have these, like, who could live up here? You know, it's like negative three degrees as he's going for a 7 a.m. run. And But Minnesotans were like, oh, this is perfect, because then all those people will never come back. That's and we'll, right. And we'll keep it to ourselves. I jog outside all winter. Uh, I like jogging outside. I, I feel like it makes me run faster to try and get back home. And I, and I don't like the treadmill. Well, they say that's better for you, actually. You're really supposed to run for like 20, 30 minutes. Right. Because uh, cause long-term, you know, for your knees and your hips and your ankles and things like that, you know, the pounding on the pavement's not good for you. And you know, anything that you can get that heart rate up fast and keep it high, I almost feel like the people that run for an hour and a half and they run for 10, 12 miles, you mm-hmm. know, every single day, I feel like their heart rate's probably just hovering at 70 the entire time and maybe not getting the, getting the workout done. <laughs> I like to run fast for about five minutes and then I'm done. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much, and then I just walk and I act like I ran the whole time, but then I just walk <laughs> for like another 10 and I go back home. I, I just get so bored on the treadmill that I, I just, I like to be outside and look at stuff and, and have the, the headphones in and listen to podcasts while I'm jogging around. Dodge traffic occasionally keeps you on your toes. The, the treadmill is just, it's so dull. That I've I, actually I just, gotten into during my, my workouts, uh, whether I'm lifting weights or jogging the treadmill or whatever, to listen to more podcasts than music. I, purple podcast music maybe. is okay for me, but for some reason, the, yeah, the purple podcast in particular, because I want to <laughs> go back and really study what we did right and wrong, like, <laughs> like just like film sessions when I was playing football. But no, I like I just like listen to podcasts. Sometimes they're mystery podcasts or other sports podcasts or, or whatever. I do like the part of my take. Guys, I think they're pretty dang funny. On a Monday, you know, it's a nice thing that they because they go over the whole sort of Sunday thing, and you know, it almost helps with the with the recap of the entire weekend's football games. And so, uh, I, I yeah, I've gone from sort of music to podcast during my workouts. So let me uh, switch gears from our personal workouts to what's going to happen with the Minnesota Vikings here. I, I'm curious about your take. Kirk Cousins today was talking about big games and the anxiety that he feels. And he was talking about how it can even be a good thing at times for a quarterback to feel a little anxiety before a game because it kind of focuses him or, or whatever it might be. And I was reading Bruce Arians' book and he was talking about how Peyton Manning would have this issue with big games where he would get fidgety and nervous before the game. And it was kind of up to Bruce, who was his quarterback coach at the time, to help him calm down. Uh, did Did you have that before big games or is it kind of that way with every game where it's uh, anxiety inducing because I, I feel like this one all eyes are going to be on Kirk Cousins at US Bank Stadium on Sunday you know I interesting enough I was really nervous for all my games early in my career and then as my career went on uh, and the more I played the less nervous I got for every game and then strangely near the end of my career Really, I would say um, after about when I got to after I after I left uh, Minnesota and went to New York, I got really nervous again. Like hmm. you know, almost word that I was going to have to play or whatever. I think you know it had bounced around so much, and you start to. Uh, you know, offenses are get more and more challenging to learn because you know, I feel like I was learning new offense every year. So like I never really, really knew it well. You know, it's that whole you know bounce around thing at the end, and you never really get great at it. You know, I felt like when I stayed in those spots in Miami and Houston during that stretch for multiple years, you just be you're really, really comfortable. But so so there's different aspects of when I was nervous in my career for different reasons. You know, Favre would definitely be way more nervous. Uh, on those big games, like that game at Green Bay, he was really nervous for uh, when he first returned. When he first like- returned, but then you know, we played at St. Louis when they were terrible, and and he was you know totally telling jokes in the locker room and sort of holding court. And it's almost like, man, Brett, you know, take it a little more seriously. This is this this reminds you of a situation that you know when you come out and we play terrible and we lose, you know. But he, then he played great, like he was loose and relaxed. So. I think everyone, every quarterback is different. Um, you know, I, I, I think it can really help me to focus. You know, I was, I wasn't nervous, but I was super focused. 
Uh, I remember for some of the some of the bigger games in my career, I remember like the bowl game, something you get nervous for. Uh, you have a, you know you have about five weeks or something to prepare mm-hmm. for, so that almost like builds up the nervousness. But I played really well in that, and I felt like that was a good nervous, you know, for that bowl game. You're just hyper focused, and so you know we'll we'll see with him. I'm hoping that you know we the, the Vikings don't have to count on him to go out there and be the savior. And I think that's the key. If, if we're really thinking that, you know, Kirk has to, he's going to have to throw the ball 40 or 45 or 50 times a game to win it, which will make a quarterback nervous because, like, all right, the whole weight of the world's on, mm-hmm. our sh- on your shoulders. That, that'll that make you nervous. But if he's like, listen, i got to go out there and, and we're going to run the rock. I'm going to do some play action. i got to be smart with the football and not take chances, you know, punt, uh, you know, live to see another day. I got to think you feel much better in that type of situation and not having the whole, you know, the, the weight of the whole world on your shoulders. It does seem like from a personality standpoint and, and how they handle some of these situations, he is a little bit different from someone like Case Keenum, where you felt like Keenum almost didn't realize how big it was or, or it was just his personality to just go out there and play no matter what and nothing ever, ever got to him. But with Kirk, it seems like he feels the pressure and he seems to me like he's an overthinker. Like he is so incredibly prepared for everything that he can almost be like the person who stays up all night for the test and then they have to get up and go and then they're exhausted. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, there's a reason these teams give you these uh, psychological studies and, and not just the wonder look. I mean, the wonder look is this supposed like, you know, sort of smart, easy 12 minute test. Um, and there's that, you know, people use a phrase guys that are too smart or athletes that are too smart. They're over, that, really, you're talking about being an overthinker, mm-hmm. right? But that's how Kirk has always functioned in his whole career. It's led him to success in college, led him to success so far in the NFL, enough success where he's making $28 million a year. You're not going to get a guy like that to all of a sudden say, hey, loosen up. Don't study so much. (laughs) Don't worry about every little detail. Kirk is a very detailed person. Now, on the opposite side... Uh, Favre and a lot of other you know guys, they're they're looser. They're not into the the fine details. You know, I, I'm not sure how much Philip Rivers is in the fine details. You think he seems like he just sort of goes out there and, and sort of makes it happen sometimes and competes. Mm-hmm. You know, and it gets gritty and it's not all about execution, execution, execution. But Kirk has has his success in really more execution style football and in quarterbacking over playmaking. You know, when you leave it up to just playmaking. That's when he's probably got in trouble. Other guys do very, very well. They've always mm-hmm. done well in that sort of playmaking role. You know what Rodgers does and Russell Wilson does, and so I think what what Kirk does is try to uh, execute by anticipation. And anticipation then takes really understanding and really studying and all the details and all the protections and what, you know and, and maybe overthinking it sometimes, trying to get all those details to put yourself uh, your, in your best position to be successful. So. It's, he's not going to change. That's the type of guy he is. I, I assume the Vikings knew that bringing him in. You know, he's and I don't want to call him an OCD person, but you know that type of person who's just not a wheeler and a dealer. You know, mm-hmm. and sometimes I think he actually gets in trouble trying to be that personality. Mm-hmm. Where hey, I'm going to try to you know make this throw and make this play because I could you know, but it's really not who he is and what he does well. And and I, I think he does get in trouble. When he tries to sort of wheel and deal and and uh, you know create and do too much, and that's when bad things happen. So let's take a quick break and uh, Matthew Collar in for Mackie and Judd, Sage Rosenfels. We finally got him in studio, and so we're very happy to have you up here in uh, Minneapolis, Sage. Um, or are we technically in St. Paul, Jonathan? So what are we in? Same. Okay, right. We're technically in St. Paul. Well, either way, uh, very glad to have you up here in studio. And I want to get into the ways Kevin Stefanski is protecting Kirk Cousins and how the Vikings cannot repeat the mistakes that they made the last time they faced the Chicago Bears. So we'll talk about that when we come back. Matthew Collar, Sage Rosenfels here in studio for Mackie and Judd. Sit tight. The Mackie and Judd show will continue in a moment. Do I have your word on that, sir? Mackie and Judd. Absolutely. On 1500 ESPN. All right, Jonathan here with a quick traffic update. The roads around the Twin Cities are pretty clear right now. The only thing that I'm seeing on the map right now is some debris in the southbound side of 77. So take it easy out there, folks. All right, back here on 1500 ESPN, Matthew Collar filling in for Mackie and Judd, former NFL quarterback Sage Rosenfels in studio. Jonathan has informed me that half of our building is in Minneapolis and the other half is in St. Paul. So I guess I was 
both right and wrong uh, in the last segment. So, um, Sage, I want to get into some of the nitty-gritty here with you and what you've seen from Kevin Stefanski, because I know that uh, throughout the year, you and I on the Purple Podcast had talked a lot about what they could do better offensively. And I feel like that ball really got rolling with us after the Chicago game, where they didn't run the ball at all. They didn't stop Khalil Mack at all. They let Akeem Hicks ruin their game plan. What do you think the biggest thing Kevin Stefanski will change about this week's game plan against the Bears from last week? Or not last week, last time they played. Well, you know, I'm not... I think that they're just going to have a certain philosophy with whoever they play. I think that's their sort of going forward. This is going to be our philosophy, and and it's really going to be they got that patience in particular this week because this is the best defense they've uh, played of the three games that Kevin Stefanski is going to be the OC here. Uh, but what has worked so far has been quarterback under center. It's been trying to run the football sometimes with success. Obviously, more in that Miami game. Uh, not quite as much last week, but continue to pound that rock and get those ones and twos. And then off of that, the, some play action, some bootleg, you know, keep Kirk out of trouble. What, by the way, what, what was encouraging in that last game was they had on a drive, I, I was the second half, but they had a drive where they sort of overcame a couple penalties and came back and got some first downs and ended up scoring on that drive. And that was very encouraging at last game. That's one of those things that have gotten them in trouble this year, you know, first and 20s and second and 17s and things like that. But I, I think they're going to continue. By the way, the Bears have not been scoring a ton of points lately. Mm-hmm. Uh, they won 14-9 to last week, I believe. So I think they're going to play the patience game and continue to try to you know run the football and 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 play action and only be in shotgun when they sort of have to be in shotgun when it just has to be a passing situation and you know really limit kirk's exposure to that you know that pick six that fumble six uh you know whatever it might be and and give the ball to dalvin cook and give the ball to latavius murray uh you know and and hopefully you know you never know and by the way uh uh Mitchell Trubisky, I watch every one of his games this year. He has games where he turns the ball over two or three or four or five mm-hmm. times, too, it seems like. I mean, there's games where he'll throw one interception, but at least three should have been intercepted. I mean, right two guys. So he will turn the ball over, and if the environment's hostile, and, and we're playing this tight football game, and our defense is getting some stomps, and uh, you know, I think they're just going to be patient and patient and patient, and hope at the end that they just the, the Vikings, you know, make more plays and and stay out of the bad ones. That that's going to be enough to beat the Chicago Bears. And so, you know, what would be really really nice um, is if the Eagles are like down are you know, uh, down by, or not the Eagle, I'm trying to think who the Bears, the Rams. The Rams. If the right. Rams are like up by four yes. touchdowns and the Bears have no shot at it, and ha- that would be really nice and the Bears would just rest their starters right. and go into the playoffs. Because if they, by the way, if they do both make the playoffs, they probably play against each other. Correct. Is what we're thinking the yep. following week, which that's, this seems to happen about every other year of the NFL, mm-hmm. where a Week 17 game turns into a playoff game as well. Um, so I, I think they're going to try to stay out of trouble, stay out of that negative play, punt the football. You know, the Bears have been playing more of that grinded-out style of football lately. By the way, that style has been so much more successful around the league over the course of second and a half of the season, I always look at the NFL. You know, what is it? What the stats and the quarterbacks and who's playing well and the hot teams? You know, September and October are different between November, December, and January. Mm-hmm. But as you see lately, who are the hot teams? Baltimore. They throw the ball like 20 times a game. Mm-hmm. Seattle, they throw the ball like 24 times a game. And they're grinding out with running game, with defense. Those are the hot teams who's struggling right now. Kansas City's lost two in a row, I believe, right? And they throw the ball all over the place. So maybe that style is just more conducive end of the year. I know it's in the dome and everything, but you know that does win games. It's not pretty. It can be even boring to watch, but it does win football games. It really feels like also the NFL decided early on that it was a little too crazy when it came to all the penalties that they were calling, and they've really let them play as we've gone along, which I think has benefited the defense. You also get you know your injuries, things like that, and defenses adjust. You know teams come up with something new schematically. Like a good example, the Rams using the fake jet sweeps all the time, but then against the Bears, the Bears figured that out and just didn't chase that guy and instead stuffed Todd Gurley every time he ran up the middle. So that's one of my favorite parts is just watching the adjustments. And that's where I'm curious too. The running ability of Mitch Trubisky on third down was a big deal in beating the Vikings back in November. 
How do you stop that? Or how have teams stopped that when they've faced him? You said you've watched every game. Yeah, no, the teams have struggled to. He does just seem to, about twice a game, uh, make a big run with his legs. And it's a run that, you know, if, if let's just say Kirk Cousins runs it, it's going to get you seven or eight, but Trubisky might get you almost 20. I mean, he really is an exceptional athlete. He's mm-hmm. a much better athlete than he is a thrower. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. He has a strong arm. It's pretty inaccurate. Um, so it sort of goes all over the place. He misses guys that are wide open. He misses guys a lot of times where his trouble occurs is on these sort of seam routes, what we call a deep cross. You know, guys, a tight end or someone starts on the right side and goes to the left, mm-hmm. uh, sort of the left hash at about 18 to 25 yards. And he seems to overthrow those players a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, the seam routes right into like a safety's lap. Yeah. And that's where he seems to get in trouble. And so, uh, but when he runs, I mean, he outruns linebackers. He's outrun safeties. Teams will rush three and, and drop a fourth lineman to just sort of hang out, but he's really just spying Trubisky or middle linebacker. And sometimes, sometimes he outruns those guys. Uh, he's he's a, just a very good runner. He's he's deadly near the, the goal line. It's one of those situations where they'll definitely actually do the zone read stuff and actually call runs for mm-hmm. him near the goal line. He's a really, really good athlete. And, um, you know, I think if, if you could, if you can try to stop the run, and then force the Bears to try to throw the ball and throw for 350 yards, I think that would be in the Vikings' favor. So this is why I am going to pick the Vikings for this game. Not only because I do think there's a possibility the Rams are up by three scores, and then you see the Chicago Bears looking up the scoreboard and saying, "Okay, Chase Daniel, get ready to go, brother." Um, but even if that doesn't happen, that inexperienced quarterbacks in U.S. Bank Stadium against this Vikings defense have done so poorly, even if they've had other good games, like or, or even just guys who aren't the elite quarterbacks, Ryan Tannehill, Matt Stafford, those guys come into the stadium and have such a tough time against this defense. And with the fact that Trubisky has been inaccurate, and even against the Vikings, he tried to give them the game back by throwing two interceptions. I just have a really tough time seeing him put up a bunch of points against the Vikings. This feels like it could be like a 10-7 type of game. It could be, but he may not have to. You know why? Because like Khalil Mack might put up seven right. points. Right, right, right. right. And maybe it's, maybe it's not Khalil, App, Khalil Mack him, him, himself uh, you know, getting those points, but it's him causing a bad throw that ends up being a pick six or, or, uh, or creating a fumble that somebody else returns for a touchdown or just in great field goal position. I mean, it's amazing when I'm watching that Bears film and I'm watching the coaches copy, so... You know, it's not the commercials and the people talking. Mm-hmm, it's, mm-hmm. A, it's a different view in the whole thing. But how many times drives start in the red zone? Like, oh, the Bears obviously <laughs> right. got some sort of turnover right. by the other team, and they're on the 15-yard. Happens a lot. And so he gets short fields a lot. Again, mm-hmm. if, if we can make him go 80 yards. And now they have weapons, by the way. Chicago's offense is really fun to watch. I, it's sort of a poor man's version uh, of Kansas City's, I would say, except mm-hmm. for Tariq Cohen is like this X factor that is just, yes. you have to play sort of nickel against him. He will destroy any linebacker in the league in a one-on-one. But teams play nickel against him, and they'll have two running backs in the game. And He's a receiver sometimes. He's a running back sometimes. They can use him on those jet sweeps, and they do give him the ball in jet sweeps. He's good on screens. Mm-hmm. He's good on uh, on wheel routes and things out of the backfield. They run corners with him out of the backfield, which you don't see very often uh, from a running back. He is an X factor, and how the Bears or how the Vikings try to defend against him is it more zone you know type stuff so everyone's eyeing the football uh you know you saw what was that game a few weeks ago oh the the Giants when the when the Bears came back and almost beat the Giants they try to play man-to-man coverage late in that Mm -hmm. game as Chase Daniel brought him back from I believe 10 points with just a couple minutes left yep and he Tariq Cohen ran right past safeties two or three times and made huge plays. And, and the best way to stop a guy like that, an explosive player, is zone defense. You know, c- cover two, what I call quarters, where all eyes are sort of back at the quarterback. And mm-hmm. when somebody does break free, everyone can really rally to the football. Man to man, which is what the Vikings do more often than not, uh, can get them in trouble. So I can see a heavy dose of what they call zone cover three. Mm-hmm. Cover three zone. Bring, bring the safety, Harrison or whoever down in the box so you do have enough guys to stop the run uh, and maybe give those free access throws on the outside uh, but you know sort of make them earn it and, and you'll have you know they'll stop the run and uh, and you'll you know you won't have to have that man coverage which Cohen and, and a lot of other guys can can take advantage of uh, anyone who has listened to our podcast knows that <clears throat> excuse me you like to say stuff and then I confirm it with statistics so let me give you this 
the uh, turnover percentage for Chicago defense, number one in the NFL. So the number one amount of uh, the opposing teams drive to turn into turnovers, and their average offensive drive start is sixth in the NFL. So you are very right that they are getting a lot so of those. So that's like this. Uh, for those who don't listen to our podcast, this is pretty much that's it. what it is. I go yes. with like my gut and like what I'm seeing, and then you sprout me the numbers that mo- sometimes confirm it. More often, I feel like confirm it, yes. but not always. But uh, it's amazing how. You know, I wasn't trained with stats and don't don't stare at stats all the time. And I'm not great. And you're such a great researcher uh, of it, and it sort of seems to work out. And you confirm a lot of these things that we that we talk. We've been talking about all season. You know, mm-hmm. things yep. with Kirk and things with the our offense and things with the the Vikings defense and what we're good at. I just go off of what I see. Uh, and you're so so good with the stats. So another thing that we do on our podcast, which uh, you can download 1500ESPN.com or on your phone where there's that little podcast app if you don't know how to use that, is the Journeyman Quarterback of the Week. So now usually we spend a lot of time on it because it's hilarious and we love going through the histories of some of these guys. Now we're on live radio here, Sage, so we've only got a minute for Kyle Orton, who is our Journeyman Quarterback of the Week. Let me tell you a quick Kyle Orton story. He signed with the Bills, nearly brought them back to the playoffs, but came a little bit short, and after the season, refused to do his final media press conference after the last game, and instead went on Buffalo Bills radio and retired, and then walked away without ever talking. (laughs) Perfect. He just said, that's it, I'm retiring from football. He has not been heard from since. Everybody has their (laughs) own walk away from the NFL moments, and I guess when you know, you know. Uh, Kyle, I know him uh, extremely well. He's from uh, the Des Moines, Iowa area. He and I used to do football camps together at his high school, Southeast Polk, uh, just outside of Des Moines. And uh, he married a, a gal from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. So when he retired, he was, I'd see him on Facebook, golf in Louisiana. But now <laughs> he's moved back up. Uh, the family has moved back up to uh, the Des Moines area again. So it's nice to have Kyle back in the Midwest. I tell you what, a guy who was a, a fourth-round pick, out of Purdue, you know, I asked him one time, how come you didn't go to Iowa State? And he goes, because the, my first game as the Purdue quarterback, as a freshman, I threw the ball 62 times. I was like, well, I see, I see why you went to Purdue. You know, it's that Joe Tiller uh, offense that Drew Brees ran. And so he had a great career for a fourth rounder, uh, you know, had a nice, did a nice job with the Bears. I, he was the third string quarterback, but I think behind Grossman, Brian Greasy, yep. and then Kyle Orton with the Bears, uh, and then was a free agent and, and uh, you know, it was in Denver. I uh, had some good years in Denver, made some really good money there. Uh, he, uh, I think, J- he was the quarterback, and for one year with Josh McDaniels, and then there's the whole Tebow thing. Yes, uh, so that was that worked his way out of Denver. Uh, he was in Buffalo. He's in Dallas. Uh, at the end of his at the end of yep. his career, yep. uh, as well. So he had a couple of the like sort of sort of farvish like retired, not really yes. caring, and then like somebody like, I'm not going to training camp, and then somebody would sign him after an injury, and he'd come in and play really well. Yep. Uh, he was a great thrower uh, of the football, really smart guy, um, uh, and yeah, good accurate passer. Not a great athlete, but uh, he sort of played with a chip on his shoulder. You know, he sort of you could call him almost not a, a, a cocky. Uh, the way he played, which I which I enjoyed watching play. He was one of, he was a gunslinger, one of those guys that gave you a chance, but also might throw three or four interceptions. Uh, if you use Google, you can find pictures of Kyle Orton with a mustache and a stogie after a win uh, when he was a member of the Bills. Sort of speaks to the gunslinger. My favorite stat for Kyle Orton was that he took over as a starter in 2005 and went 10 and five despite having a 59 quarterback rating. <laughs> This is for the Bears. For the the Bears, 2005, yes. They had that great defense. I think that was the year Dick Duran won the Coach of the Year, and he threw nine touchdowns, 13 picks, 5.1 yards per attempt, and they won 10 games. And I believe believe his offensive coordinator uh, was Norv Turner's brother. Uh, really? Yeah, who used to be the head coach Man. at Illinois. I can't, I can't think of his first name. Um, but, uh, yeah, their offense was not very good. I remember talking to, to Brian Greasy about you know, their offense and stuff, and, and uh, he would say, yeah, it's not, the, it's not the most dynamic, creative offense I've ever been in. So uh, you congrats to Kyle Orton. By the way, made a ton of money as a, as yes. a career backup. I, you know, the years he was starting in Denver – had some really nice contracts and and made you know made his his coin. Now he's enjoying himself, raising his kids back in his hometown. I'm sure playing plenty of golf uh, and enjoying his family. So uh, that's the nice thing is that my guess he's not going to have a long term, 
you know, uh, uh, knee issues and shoulder issues and mm-hmm. concussion issues because you know he oh he did play a lot. He yeah he had no, a he lot did. of starts in his career, yeah. but you know you, you 82, never 82, 82 starts. starts. Yeah. So you know you never really make that huge. Now it's. Twenty-five million dollars a year, uh, but you also don't have all the uh, the physical issues as well. So, so hats off to my fellow Iowan Kyle Orton. We uh, always dig up something in their Wikipedia in a journeyman quarterback Wikipedia that's great. And I'll I'll finish off our segment with this. Kyle Orton once said that he would be interested in someday running for U.S. Congress. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> I believe his da- his dad in Des Moines, um, works Iowa with Labor the, Commission. Yeah, well, Iowa, yes. he works with the unions and things like mm-hmm. that. So he and I would talk some politics uh, when we get together for our golf. Our uh, we would uh, golf tournament and a football, a couple football camps, and so Orton for Congress, man. Orton for Congress, maybe that's the deal. <laughs> the Orton Rosenfeld's ticket, the, right. or, or for governor. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, weirder governors have happened uh, in the world, say, like in this state. So, uh, Sage, it was awesome to have you up. I hope your family had a, a very nice holiday. And uh, we will talk with Lawrence Holmes of 670, uh, the score in Chicago shortly to continue to preview this game. So we'll be back. Matthew Collar here in for Mackie and Judd. Mackie and Judd resume things following these messages. That's just about the most fantastic scheme I've had to date. On 1500 ESPN. Everything's getting more expensive these days. Gas, rent, and even your music. While other music services keep jacking up their prices, Live One is letting you lock in the best music membership at the best price. Live One Plus is just $3.99 per month. Get all your favorite music ad-free, along with unlimited skips and maximum audio quality. Beat inflation with the best deal in music at just $3.99 per month. Visit liveone.com slash best music to get Live One Plus now.